You're listening to the podcast for Asbury United Methodist Church. Join us every Sunday for worship at 8.30 or 10.45. Find out more at asburybosier.org. Well, good morning. It's good to be with you on this Labor Day weekend. You are the proud that come to church on Sunday morning on Labor Day weekend when there's some football game or something happening this afternoon that nobody cares about. Good for you. Good for you. We actually talked in confirmation class this morning, so I'm going to throw this challenge out there to you because I'm a big football fan. (laughs) It's just not your kind of football, right? The round ball. So if anybody can explain to me, here's your challenge. You can explain to me why your version of football is called football. I would love to hear that. Just saying. So our scripture for today is from James chapter 1, starting at verse 19, reading through 27. Let's hear the word of the Lord. You must understand this, my beloved. Let everyone be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. For your anger does not produce God's righteousness. Therefore, rid yourselves of all sordidness and rank growth of wickedness, and welcome with meekness the implanted word that has the power to save your soul. But be doers of the word and not merely hearers who deceive themselves. For if any are hearers of the word and not doers, they are like those who look at themselves in a mirror. For they look at themselves and on going away immediately forget what they were like. But those who look into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and persevere, being not hearers who forget but doers who act, they will be blessed in their doing. If any think they are religious, but do not bridle their tongues, but deceive their hearts, their religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to care for orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself unstained by the world. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. There's a great scene in the movie Titanic. Now, I'm not a huge fan of the movie just because it's so long. And they Hollywooded it up just a little too much with all the whole Rose and Jack thing. Come back, right? They just went a little too far. But I love the history. I love the fact that it's based on a real story. And you can almost put yourself into certain parts of that movie and go, wow. What would it have been like to stand on that dock and see this huge structure before you, the unsinkable ship? To see the definition of classes, you know, the rich folk that go here, the the poor folk that go here. There's a great scene in that movie where the real-life Rose, who's getting a little older now, is going through some of her personal belongings that have been rescued from this wreckage at the bottom of the ocean, and she's handed an old mirror, and she picks it up, and she looks at it, and she says, you know, it looks just the same as it did the last time I saw it, but the reflection has changed a bit. There's one thing that is true of all mirrors, whether it's a large mirror on your wall in your living room, whether it's a a small mirror you might look into in the morning, whether it's a, a small compact mirror you have in your makeup, whether it's an old mirror or a new mirror, it doesn't really matter. They all tell the truth. (laughs) They They don't lie. 
And all of us use mirrors a lot because it's usually part of our daily routine. We wake up in the morning and we look at our scary selves with our hair all messed up and our eyes glazed over and our gray hair and our imperfections. It's, it's part of what we do to see ourselves, to understand what we need to fix, cover up for the day ahead. But we need to be mindful that the mirror is only doing what a mirror can do. It's reflecting what's in front of us. It's up to us to determine what we're looking for or what question we might be asking of it. Disney's 1937 classic Snow White is another great movie. I watched little parts of it. You've probably seen the whole thing. The evil queen begins every day by looking into the mirror and saying, mirror, mirror on the wall, who is the fairest of them all? Or the alternative, magic mirror in my hand, who's the fairest of the land, right? And the mirror always responds, well, of course you are. That makes her feel good. But then Snow White gets a little older and more beautiful. And then the mirror starts to reply, you know, you are the fairest here for sure. But Snow White is a thousand times more beautiful than you. And so the quest to kill Snow White begins. Because a mirror can only reflect what is put in front of it, and only when meaning is assigned to that reflection do we have any understanding of what this image really means. So one day we might look in the mirror and go, I look good. Another day we might look in the mirror and go, oh dear, we got some things to work on, right? It depends on what value we assign to the image. The image is what it is. It's what we make of it that matters. The author of this letter, written by James, is most likely, although we're not sure, the same James that's referred to in Paul, by Paul in 1 Corinthians as one who was visited by the risen Christ. Early church history tells us that whoever this James is was such a devout disciple, such a devout follower of Christ, that he had calluses on his knees because he was so devout in following Christ. For James, the emphasis is on what it means to be a true disciple of Christ. Now, we hear that word in our language, we go, ah, it's a follower of Christ. But we need to kind of go back and go, what did that mean when, when these early apostles, when these early church leaders used that word? In the ancient world, when you said you were a disciple of somebody, it had a very distinct meaning. It meant not only did you go and hear the teachings of a certain person, but that you also did those things that they were teaching you. To do one or the other meant you were something else other than a disciple. And this is especially true for James because in this short letter, it's only four or five chapters, James refers to Jesus' Sermon on the Mount more than a dozen times. So for James, what it meant to be a disciple is really, really important. In fact, at the end of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says this, The one who hears the word without doing it is like a man who built his house on sand. Remember that story? But a man who hears the word and does it is like a man who built his house on rock. Only the one who hears and does 
what it says can withstand the storms that life will bring. The great reformer Martin Luther referred to this book of James as a letter full of straw because Luther hated the idea, which was very popular in his day, that faith by works could earn you salvation. Only faith alone is what Luther would say. But in his preface to Romans, the same letter that John Wesley read, and it strangely warmed his heart, here's what Luther says about this book of James that he was reading. Oh, it is a living, busy, active, mighty thing, this faith. It does not ask whether good works are to be done. But before the question is even asked, it has already done them and is constantly doing them. Even for Luther, faith and works were not two separate things. They were one and the same. And John Wesley was also clear that to have faith and works was important. Both together, united in God's love, made manifest in the person of Christ. We are to have our faith in response to what God has done for us. By living our lives in a certain way, by doing the things that our teacher has told us to do, by following the example of Christ, not just hearing what he says to do, but doing them, being a true disciple of the one that we call teacher. Faith and works are at the core of what it means to be a Christian, expressed in both works of piety, our relationship to God, the way that we love God, and works of mercy, the way that we love our neighbor. Throughout Scripture, faith is often revealed in action. If you think about some of the great stories that we study in Sunday school, Abraham was called to sacrifice Isaac as a demonstration of his faith. Moses was called to lead Israel out of Egypt. Noah was told to build an ark. David went to face Goliath. To love, as Paul says, has to be a verb, because love without action is just a word. We can say, I love you, but if our actions don't back that up, then what does that really mean? Or as Paul would say, if I speak with human eloquence and angelic ecstasy, but I don't love, I'm nothing but the creaking of a rusty gate. There was a man that went on a business trip and he decided to get a gift for his wife. And so he goes into one store, because us guys, we're not going to go into several stores, we're going into one. Right, guys? We're going to find what we need there and we're going to move on. Correct? Thank you. Nod your heads. Okay, wives are too close, I understand. Right, but we're going to go to one store and we're going to get what we need and we're going to leave. So he goes to this one store, he picks up a bottle of perfume, perfume? Perfume, and it's $60. He puts it back. (laughs) Walks over here, he picks up another bottle, and it's, it's $30. No. He picks up the smallest bottle he can find. It's $15. So he walks over to an employee, and he says, you know, do, do you have anything cheaper? 
She hands him a mirror. Thank you. At 8.30, they didn't get that. I had to say it three times. And there were still people sitting there going, what? I don't get it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Love without action is just a word. James says that reading God's word without receiving it, without it transforming us, is just like looking in a mirror and immediately forgetting what we saw. To look into God's word, to look into God's mirror, is to see us for who we are. Sinners in need of God's grace. But also to see God for who God is. One who is always ready to receive it, ready to love us, ready to forgive us, ready to welcome us home no matter how far down the wrong road we have gone. God is always waiting for us to turn around, to see God for who God is, to reveal to us who and whose we are in Christ. And if these things are true, then it must change us. I have a seminary friend who is, is much smarter than me. He's got a big, long beard. I mean, he looks like something off, off some of these movies you see. I mean, his beard kind of goes down to here, and he's, oh, he's, very, he's a deep thinker. And so he posted something on Facebook the other day, and I, I sent him a message like, dude, who did you quote? Is that like C.S. Lewis or something? That's profound. He was like, no, I wrote it. It's like, well, you get an A. Not that my opinion matters. But here's what he said. Scripture itself is not God but is a means through which God chooses to reveal God's self to us. If we are unwilling to allow the Holy Spirit, who is God, the recorded teachings of Jesus Christ, who is God, to inform our interpretation of Scripture, then maybe we are more interested in the book than we are God. That's good. Do we study God's Word to learn something about history, to memorize some passages, or do we read it and ask God to change us with what we see and what we hear? Many moons ago, and I'm, I'm going back 20 years and more, I went through some counseling. I was struggling with some things in my life, and I decided I needed to go get some professional help. It's never a bad idea. You probably saw the story of the pastor in California recently who, who took his own life. It's never a bad idea. So I went to go get some help with some things I was dealing with, and I'll never forget that first appointment that I had. I walked in, as many people do, <laughs> with all guns blazing. Everything that is happening to me is this person's fault and that person's fault. And because of this and because of this, none of it's me. I am a victim. And for 56 minutes, you only get 60, by the way, before they schedule another appointment. For 56 minutes, I let her have it. Like, I am angry, I am frustrated. All these things have been happening to me and you're going to help me. And after 56 minutes, she, she kind of smiled and, and she was very patient. And she said, you know... I can help you. But in order to help you, I'm going to hold up a mirror and we're going to talk about you. <laughs> Ouch. It's 
not what I had in mind. I want you to tell me how I can get back at all these people. You want, you want me to talk about me? So for about six months, that's what I did. And it's what I needed to really understand who I was, the things that I was struggling with, the things I needed to work on, how I could be a better person. And after about six months, I was read, I was having a good time. I was going every week and, and talking about all this stuff. And after about six months, she said, you don't need to come see me anymore. You're good. And that was 20-something years ago. I remember like it was yesterday. Sometimes we need somebody to hold up the mirror and show us who we really are. And what I think James is getting at is that when we look into the mirror that God is holding up, be it reading scripture, be it prayer, be it being in worship, the reality is we may not like what we see. We will be reminded of the times that we've fallen short. We'll be reminded of our failures. We'll be reminded of our mistakes. But (laughs) we're also reminded of God's goodness. We're reminded of all the times that God's grace has been in abundance. We're reminded of all the times that we've been forgiven. We're reminded that because of Christ, we have access to a life that is eternal. That's where our hope is. It's not in the struggles of this world. And it's in that mirror, when we look at God and we see ourselves and we see God for who he is, that God can begin to shape us and mold us and transform us into the person he intended for us to be, the reflection of his son. To live lives of love as a verb and generosity. Loving God, loving our neighbor. Love being a verb that calls us into action. Love that shapes our words and our hearts and our minds and ultimately our actions into the things of Christ. In John chapter 13, I could read that chapter over and over and over. It records the time that Jesus met with his disciples and washed their feet. And there's all kinds of twists and turns. Oh, ah, you shouldn't wash my feet. You should watch all of me. And Jesus, he's struggling with them. And finally, you can almost see this this transpiring in this room, and Jesus finally turns to them and says, do you know what I have done to you? Do you know what I have done to you? If I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you also should do as I have done to you. In the person of Christ, faith and action come together by doing something that only a slave would do, by only a servant would do, not a teacher. But Jesus walks into that room, sits with his disciples, and he says, I must wash your feet. I must serve you. And then says, do you understand, do you know what I have done? Because what good is it, friends, to hear these words of Jesus and not act? What good is it 
to hear Jesus' final words, go and make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teach them to obey everything I have commanded you, but not do it. What good is it to come here to worship God, to sing songs of praise, to pray, to hear God's word, to hear a sermon, and then go home like nothing ever happened and look forward to the game later this afternoon. Completely unchanged. Or, what good is it to wake up in the morning, look in the mirror, see how messed up our hair is, and go to Walmart anyway? An encounter with God will reveal to us who and whose we are. We are sinners in need of God's grace. And it will reveal who God is. A God who is always willing to meet us where we are, willing to transform us from the inside out, to remind us that because of his great love for us, because of his amazing grace, all of us were once lost. But now we're found. All of us were blind but now we see. It's the kind of grace that might sound a little like this.